Welcome everyone to our very first episode of Hold Down the Fort. My name is Michael Gold. I attend the University of Florida. I'm really excited to be here. I'll be specializing in college football coverage. Um, yeah, uh, I'm Vinay Krishnadis. Um, I'm also a Gator. Um, yeah, and my expertise is sort of geared towards the NFL, but yeah, I'm excited to be here. Sam, FGCU guy, uh, big football dude. I'm Rohan Matani. I'm also a Gator, and uh, my area of expertise is uh, concerning the role of soccer or football, as it should be rightly, rightfully called. Um, but speaking about soccer, so the World Cup is happening this Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern, France versus Argentina, probably the biggest game of the tournament in terms of skill, players, excitement from the fans. I wanted to ask each one of y'all what your predictions are for the game, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about what I think of the game and delve more deeply into the analysis of what I think the game is going to unfold to. So, right, Michael, um, would you like to talk a little bit about what do you think? Dude, yeah, I don't know. Um, kind of putting me on the spot here, but I think it's going to be a really close game. Um, I, I was looking at some of the odds before this, and they're pretty much like neck and neck. Um, even Vegas can't decide who's really going to be a winner. I've heard like France is a slight edge, but um, I don't know. I know you're probably going to talk about them bringing in Benzema. And I don't know. On the surface, like if you're looking at the, the starting 11, it seems like France has the edge talent wise. But um, as you'll, you'll probably allude to later on, I think Argentina probably has like more of like a drive to win this game for Messi and uh, for their country. Um, than France does, you know, France going back to back first time that's ever going to be like happen if they win. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's a close game, but I think Argentina pulls it out maybe in extra time, maybe in penalties, but I think they find a way to win and Messi is, you know, he's already the goat in my book. He was a goat a long time ago, my personal opinion. Um, but this just further solidifies that. So if I had to guess a scoreline, either one, one into extra time, um, or 2-1 um, before I could done. But hey, what about you? I'm interested in your thoughts. Um, Yeah, I was just thinking about the game itself and, and how it's going to play out. Uh, the last two games for France, the formula's been pretty obvious. They are comfortable sitting back, letting the other team have possession, and just being deadly on the counter. And they sat back against England, and they survived. England only had... They had two penalties, but they're still penalties. They were able to keep it clean and open play. Morocco, they sat back and they survived Morocco, but Morocco dictated that game. I think sitting back against Argentina is not going to fare so well for them in this game. I think that Argentina will punish them in ways that England and Morocco couldn't. And I think that puts them on the back foot. But... I will never count out their ability to score. So I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think Argentina get up to an early lead. Um, they keep it ahead of France. So it goes 1-0, then France equalizes, then Argentina gets one more, 2-1, and then France comes back and equalizes again. So I'm calling a 2-2 game that goes to extra time. And, <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to say – Argentina winner in extra time, 3-2, and it's just going to be a high-scoring game. Sam, what about you? What do you think the game is going to be like? 
Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of what Vanessa and back throughout the last couple rounds and letting the other team dictate the pace. I think at the end of the lot of high-level stars on the field, which one of them can have their moment? I think it's a high 2-1 France in uh, regular time. I think they net one kind of early and late in the game, 70th so, you know, 60th minute or so. I think Mbappe shines and goes back-to-back with a 2-1 victory. And that, that kind of brings up the question we were talking about Messi's go case with a World Cup win. Two World Cup wins before the age of 23 is Mbappe. It's, uh, it's going to be something to think about. Not a current go, but go. Yeah, no, for sure. But uh, going back to what I think about the World Cup, the, the game specifically, I agree with a lot of what Vinay said specifically. It's a game of, of possession, in my opinion. France likes to sit back. Argentina likes to attack. Does this, is this going to be costly for France? just sitting back, absorbing the pressure. They have survived England and Morocco. But in the case of Morocco specifically, all credit to them, they don't have the attacking prowess that Argentina does. And they don't have Lionel Messi behind them and a team that supports Lionel Messi like uh, like Argentina does. The way that I see it unfolding, because it's a World Cup final, it's going to be a very cagey game. It's going to be very, very slow. It's going to be a tactical battle in the midfield. Whoever wins the midfield wins the game, in my opinion. And I think it's going to come down to whichever manager makes the tactical change on the day that results in the victory. I don't think there's going to be any goals in the first half or even up to like the 60th minute just because of how like conservative these teams are going to be playing. They worked so hard to get here. They waited four years for the opportunity. They're going to buy their chances and they're not going to take any risks. Because like Vinay said, France can pounce on the counterattack and can be super deadly. We saw just one Morocco mistake cost them, cost them the goal, like the eighth minute of their last game. So I think Argentina looked at that and said, we're going to take it conservatively, we're going to take it easy, and we're just going to see how it unfolds. But as in terms of an outright winner, I would love for Argentina to win. I would love for Lionel Messi to get his World Cup. Do I think that the World Cup makes him the outright GOAT? No, I think he was already the, the GOAT of soccer without this World Cup. But I think this just puts a nice cherry on the top on his international career. But I wouldn't be surprised if France pulls it through just because of the number of stars that they have. They have Mbappe, Rabio, Usman Dembele. Like the list goes on and on. And I, it's, it's very hard for me to see this being like a very, very open-ended game like, like y'all were talking about. But... That's that's pretty much you know my my take on the game. Um, it's gonna be exciting. I love watching. You know, the, the this World Cup has been honestly very entertaining. You know, with all the controversy that's been happening, you know. But we, I've I've been enjoying it a lot. Watching all the games, you know, every, like the Morocco like rise, the, like the the underdog story has been incredible to to see. It's sad to see them go, but the third place game should also be pretty interesting. But yeah. All right, well, um, does anyone have any additional thoughts on the World Cup final? Well, I, I just yeah. want to touch on what Sam said. I thought it was interesting about Mbappe's, you know, journey to where he stands. And when it's all said and done, if he wins two straight World Cups at the beginning of, of his career and, you know, with the talent of France, I think he's contending for every World Cup that he will play in 
for the rest of his career. So if he gets two, who's to say he doesn't get more? And I think that a move to Real Madrid is on the horizon. And we know that Real Madrid, all they do is rake in Champions Leagues. Like, I find it very hard to believe that he won't win a Champions League at Madrid. And, like, at least one, a couple titles. I think when it's all said and done, Mbappe wins this game. He really kind of lights the fire under Messi's standing a little bit, not a big one, but a small one, a little spark that might spark him to a similar trajectory that we see from Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah, I, I could also see this turning into like a lot of MJ LeBron debates in some light because it's like, okay, you won a championship, but you had like Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, or you, you won a championship and you had D Wade and Chris Bob and Ray Allen. Like, I don't know. I think the France team is like probably more like talented than Argentina's right now. Like, they're starting 11. Um, and like, obviously, Mbappe is probably the most talented player on that like on that roster on a starting 11 if not like one of the top players on that roster um so like I, I could i could easily see a lot of the debates in the future being like oh like messi won it for argentina if he if he does win it with like a less talented roster um but mbappe won it in years where they had a way better supporting cast i could see a lot of arguments like that like on the horizon but i guess that's that all depends on how this game goes on sunday so we shall see a lot of predictions in. Wait, Rohan, what's your final prediction? Did you say Argentina versus France? Yeah, so I said, I said it's gonna be a. Uh, I think it's gonna be a nil-nil draw going into extra time. Um, <laughs> I know that's a bold prediction, but I just don't see Argentina taking many risks with France being so lethal on the counterattack, and I also don't see France holding the ball that much because they just allow teams to to have the ball. So I think it's going to be 0-0 going into extra time. And if anything, I see an Argentina winner late. Um, and I don't think this goes to penalty. So, yeah, I think an Argentina winner in extra time, 1-0, when the, Messi wins the World Cup. So we got three predictions for an Argentina extra time winner and one France in regular time. Uh, yeah, I honestly think that's probably how it's going to have to play out. Like, I don't, I don't really think Argent, like there's a very low chance Argentina – wins in regular time without France like responding um just you know being super aggressive um but yeah really interesting um we can probably do like a, a review of the game afterward um see how our predictions fared and you know schematically how the game was played out but yeah uh any other thoughts on the game if not we can kind of shift focus uh also I think we got a back at like the French team was kind of banged up coming into the world cause like Pogba, I mean, this team is set up for a long time with all their keep to contend. You know, every every four years or so, they should be set up pretty nicely to, with guys going down pretty much constantly. Uh, they've had injuries and illness, and they still just keep playing as a ode to their talent. Yeah, I was actually talking to Vinay about it a few weeks ago. Like, these young players getting this World Cup experience is so valuable that the the time when the time comes around for the next World Cup, when the new generation of players, you know, rises and when, you know, these old guys like Ravio, Benzema, Loris, like when all these old guys leave and the new guys come in, you know, they're already gonna be ready. They're gonna be ahead of the curve for instead of someone like England's national team where the youngsters are not so involved, France is gonna have that edge. And I think that's gonna make them very, very competitive for the next maybe four, eight, twelve years.
that having that experience early doors is very valuable. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's crazy. They can just easily bring in, like, with the stamp of their fingers, a guy like Derude or Theo Hernandez or, like, Benzema. And it's just, like, it's just never-ending. Like, they, like, I don't think that any other team in the world is going to be able to out-talent them. Um, but, yeah, like, like you said, Rohan, like, getting those young stars, that experience is, like, crazy, like, useful. Like, especially in the future, like, if you have older guys go down or, or older guys want to play it, um, for like a different team or, or for whatever reason they don't play like you have those guys that you can rely on with like viable world cup experience um and i think that's like because i don't know like how much do y'all think like that world cup experience matters versus like you know either like champions league play or like premier league play like it, it's like a pretty big difference right yeah i think i think it just goes to like the stakes of the world cup like you work so hard in your club career for your for your country's manager to select you. And then you have an opportunity once every four years to compete against the best countries in the world to, to win like the most coveted trophy in sports. So the pressure is definitely on and during the World Cup and especially during the World Cup final. I, I don't see a reason why Didier Deschamps will, will bench too many, for example, will have started most of their games. And I don't even know how old he is. He, I think he's definitely less than 23 years old. So the longevity for Chua is there and he's going to potentially start in a World Cup final. Like, and for, look at Mbappe, for example. He was 18 years old when he scored in the World Cup final versus Croatia four years ago. So I think, and look at where, look where Mbappe is now. That was my point. Like, he's become one of the greatest in the world. So, yeah, I definitely think the World Cup plays a, a huge role in building experience for young players just because of the stakes and because of the competition. Yeah, I'm just going to put this out there before we move on. Um, I think what will really take this bench team forward in the next 8, 12 years is I think there's going to be a switch from Deschamps to Zidane. And I think if Zidane takes over that team, they're not going to slow down by any means. So, Actually, Deschamps just re-signed with the French national team, which leaves Zidane to join Juventus. So... Oh, no, I'm saying like eight years down the road, Deshaun has to leave at some point, and that job is Zidane's job. He is. All right, yeah. Let's see. Not- let's see where. Let's see where Zidane. Let's see what. Let's see what Deshaun does some, on uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah. I know. I, I'm really excited for this game. It's it's definitely going to be a star-studded game. All right. Yeah. All right. I think with that, we're going to transition to a different type of football. Um, and it's my favorite type of football, personally. College football, bowl season. We got a bunch, a huge slate of games coming up. Um, and, you know, I, I used to love bowl games a lot more than nowadays, but nowadays we got a bunch of opt outs and transfers and, and all that fun stuff. So it makes them a little less enjoyable to watch because you're not getting the full starting talents on both teams. But uh, what I'm basically going to do is break down um, five games we're looking forward to watching. Um, some of them are this weekend, some of them aren't for the next couple of weekends, but uh, we'll be doing five games every week. Um, and then what I'll do is just give some recruiting and transfer portal updates. And then, um, yeah, I think that should be about it. Um, all right. So we're going to start with all the games in the state of Florida. Um, sorry, Miami. Um, y'all just didn't make the cut this year. Five and seven really embarrassing. Um, I don't know. I, I could have told y'all that Cristobal was not a good coach on game day. Um, he's recruiting lights out, but that's for later in the pod. So talk about that later. But um, Miami, maybe next year. I don't know. 
So we'll start with the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, the University of Florida Gators are taking on Oregon State. Um, I'll start with the Gators. So a ton of opt-outs and transfers and um, things of that sort. So I guess the biggest one, Anthony Richardson opts out for the NFL draft. Um, you know, he is probably projected the third or fourth best quarterback in the draft. Um, I personally don't really like this QB class. I have some concerns with like almost every quarterback that's in this class, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, as we know, Jalen Kitna was dismissed from the team. Um, Lorenzo Lingard, um, he was like our third or fourth string running back. He enters the portal, and now we only have two running backs on our on our roster, uh, which is nice. I mean, they're two; they're both studs. I think next year we have uh, the best running back duo in the entire country in uh, Montreal Johnson and uh, Trevor Etienne. But um, yeah, uh, Trent Mortimer is in the portal. Um, a bigger loss at wide receiver, in my opinion, is Justin Shorter. He was a, he was a starter. Fun fact, and I think it was the 2017 or 2018 class. Someone have to check me on this, but he was the number one wide receiver in that class uh, coming out of high school. So um, he was a transfer from Penn State. He, he'll be missed. Um, and then we got a first round guard, um, Osiris Thorns, who's going to the draft. Um, and then I think our last big loss is at linebacker Ventrell Miller. He was kind of the quarterback of that defense. Um, he's an opt out as well. So. Um, and then I guess the opt-outs and transfers for Oregon State. Um, they're running back Damian Martinez. Um, he got injured, but I think he'll play. Will he be limited? We're not really sure yet. Um, they also have a corner. Um, uh, what's his name? Rajon Wright. Um, he had thumb surgery. He was kind of half of their really, really good cornerback duo. I know how they have some depth of that position. Um, so not too much concern there. But besides that, they didn't really have a lot of guys out that were getting a lot of playing time. So. I think on this front, I think Oregon State has the advantage. Um, offensively, if we're going to compare the two offenses on face, I think um, they're pretty much even. If you look at the numbers, I think Florida has a slightly better um, uh, edge uh, through the air, surprisingly. Um, and Oregon State has a slight edge uh, through the run game. But they both average pretty much the same numbers every game, around 400 yards per game. Um uh, and like 32 points per game. So offensively, they're pretty even. On the defensive side of the ball, I think this is where Oregon State starts to uh, close the gap and they start to you know take advantage. Um, they're averaging about 60 less yards per game. Um, they have a much better run defense in Florida. And this comes down to like my key of the game, which is can Florida kind of establish the run game and open things up for their backup quarterback, Jack Miller. Um, Jack Miller uh, was supposed to be in a really good quarterback battle with Anthony Richardson earlier in the year. Didn't really perform up to expectations, especially in the spring game. Um, Rohan, Banana, and I were there for that game. Did not look too impressed by, by Jack Miller, unfortunately. But um, according to like some players on the team, like Montreal Johnson, uh, he's really been putting the work in these past couple of weeks in practice. I think he can perform. And um, this might be a biased prediction, but I'll give you my score prediction. I have Florida barely pulling it out, 27 to 24 against Oregon State. And here's kind of my basis for that. Um, Oregon State lost to Utah, 42 to 16. Um, and you know who beat Utah less than a month before that? The Florida Gators. Um, I think that this is going to be a way closer game than Vegas thinks, which is funny because the game is in Vegas. Um, and, you know, that line being plus 10, I'll talk about it later, but I think Florida covers that for sure. I think um, a really big difference there, I'll actually talk about that later. But, yeah, Florida wins in a very, very close game. Uh, probably pretty low scoring, too. Both these offenses aren't. Too amazing, especially with guys out. But yeah, um, any thoughts on on that prediction? 
Uh, you Utah game that was that was a long time ago. Both those teams played Utah. Neither team is in the state now that they were when they played Utah. I mean, uh, UF is down basically every important player coming. Virtually no receiving core with injuries and opt outs, and uh, obviously no AMR. But that Oregon State defense since that game, it's um not talked about enough how football defense is that Oregon State was in there. I've seen a lot of analysts say that they're a quarterback of recruiting news later, but with DJ Uangaleli's, I butchered that name, but his brother is a 5 and Oregon State, I believe, is on the top list for him. So they're likely a package deal, paid up nice for next year. But I would say that just considering all the opt-outs and injuries or back situation not being – all that great against a good defense. I would take Oregon. I think they will cover the ten and a half, but I would take them over the edge of what for this game. Yeah, I mean another thing you have to take into account is uh, what conference is really been playing. You know, uh, Oregon State's in the Pac-12. Um, you know, not so sure how good they are. I mean, I, I do think they've closed the gap. See though, I mean they slowed down off. They slowed down offenses like Caleb Williams, the Heisman winner, stacked the offense when Travis Dye was still healthy. I mean, they slowed down teams like that. Not that they won because of the offense just Knicks and and uh, yeah, Oregon, yeah. and they, they slowed them down in the second half of that game. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I like. I think if you look at the like the actual roster, Florida still has the advantage talent wise over Oregon State. Um, that's kind of like. Based on like the, their star rankings from people like that in sports, the team talent rankings, but I don't know. Uh, well, we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, I want to get on to this next game uh, FSU versus Oklahoma. We got Sam, pretty big FSU fan. Uh, he might like my prediction a little bit, but um, so the opt outs and transfers for FSU um, Winston Wright Jr., their wide receiver, um, he's been out since September, but he probably will not be playing in the game. He won't return. Um, and then um, the only other opt-outs they really have are guys that weren't really um, – or not opt-outs, but who entered the transfer portal are guys on the defensive side of the ball who didn't really get much playing time anyway. So FSU really does have their the full strength, I think, um, not really having too many injuries besides uh, their wide receiver room. Uh, and then for Oklahoma, uh, they got a lot of guys that are out. Um, their starting running back, Eric Gray, um, will be an opt-out. Um, their wide receiver, Theo Weiss. Um, he only averaged really under just 202 catches a game, but he's in the portal. Uh, the big loss, though, is uh, both in the trenches. So both of their starting tackles um, are going to be out. Their opt-outs for the draft. And then um, or uh, uh, Oklahoma, sorry, I don't want to think of Ohio. Um, but their defensive lineman, um, Jalen Redman, will also be out. He had fourth back in the season, uh, two tackles a game. Um, still like a, a decent contributor on that defense. Um, so here's kind of how I break it down. I think even if Oklahoma's roster was at full strength. I still think FSU has the edge. Um, they have the way better defense. Um, Oklahoma's is historically bad. It's actually the 12th worst in the country. It was honestly really surprising to me because Brent Venables um, is a defensive. He was a previous defensive coordinator for Clemson. Um, you know, we know so how good defensive mind. Yeah, exactly. I have no clue what happened in Oklahoma. Um, if he loses this game, I think like although it's only year one and he hasn't really had time to get his guys in there, we could be looking at a hot seat scenario. Um, but yeah, FSU is pretty much giving up 100 less pass yards a game, 50 less rush yards a game. Um, their offensive numbers are almost identical. Um, so I think the major key here is can Oklahoma find a way 
to survive in the trenches with their, those two tackles out. I don't think they do. I think that, um, like, they get smothered. And then also, can they contain Jordan Travis on the ground? I was at that game at FSU. Uh, Jordan Travis kind of took uh, that Florida defense. He was just all over the field making us look silly. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that happens. I think Florida State wins and covers. My score prediction will be Florida State 34, Oklahoma 24. Any thoughts there before I move on? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Venables in year one hasn't really given me, like, a huge confidence boost in that Oklahoma team, like, in terms of revamping them close Lincoln Riley. So I think that this is a, too much of a reach for them to be FSU in this bowl game, considering how they've sort of underperformed defensively this season, which is what I was really looking uh, to see with Venables being hired. Yeah, I also think FSU is coming off a lot of momentum. Big win against Florida. You know, I have a ton of thoughts on that game. I could talk about that game for hours. But, yeah, I think they, they got a lot of momentum from that game. I think they're really buying into uh, Mike Norvell's kind of, you know, what he's preaching uh, up there in Tallahassee. But, yeah. I, and I know it's really funny you say that, because when the Gators were looking for a coach, I thought Venable would be, you know, on one of the like top picks for on our draft board or on our, you know, job hunt. So, um, I'm glad we didn't take him, I guess. Uh, takes a lot more to be like a, a head coach than just a coordinator, I, I guess it appears. But, but yeah. All right. I'm going to quickly break down this next game, UCF versus Duke. So UCF, um, they're really thin at, at quarterback. So John Rice Plumley is injured. Um, he's, he's got a hamstring injury, and it's looking like he won't play. Um, their backup is also out. Um, he is in the transfer portal, I believe. Um, so their third strength freshman quarterback, Thomas Castellanos, is going to start. Uh, he did not play well in his last game. Um, and they also got a really, really big gap uh, at wide receiver, really big guy. Ryan O'Keefe is in the transfer portal. He was our leading receiver all year, 73 catches on the year. Um, I think that's going to be a very, very big uh, struggle for the UCF offense. Um, they got their line, their linebacker, um, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste out. He was third in the team in tackles. Then their corner, Devontae Brown, who was a starter, is also out. Duke, uh, you might be wondering what opt-outs and transfers they got. They don't have any. Uh, they're all starting there at full strength. Um, and that's really where I think the difference is. Um, I think on a given day, UCF has a slight edge. But, you know, you got a third-string freshman quarterback um, in a bowl game um, where your best receiver isn't even there to throw to. Um, I think that that makes things very hard for them. Uh, these two teams are very similar defensively. Um you know, their numbers are pretty close. UCF also does average about 60 more yards per game, most of that coming in the run game. So I think the question really is, can UCF establish the run against Duke's defense, which also is slightly better against the run than UCF's defense? Um, you know, if Plumlee is out, uh, what is Castellanos going to do? I think you have to establish the run, just like I said for the Florida game, kind of open things up for him, make things, like, a lot easier for him to, look, like, look down the field. Um, if they can do that, I think UCF has a good shot. Um, I think that Duke ends up kind of expecting the run uh, a bit too much. UCF is going to have to be forced to throw the ball, which I don't think I have a lot of faith in that offense of doing, especially with that number one receiver out for them. My final score prediction is um, Blue Devils win this one 31-28. It'll still be a close cage game, um, but I think that they find a way to win. Football school. All right, Sam, I know you had some thoughts on the game. Feel free to share. 
Yeah, uh, Riley Leonard was one of the rising stars of the ACC this year, the young quarterback for Duke. Uh, I thought he rose and shone in that Wake Forest game, and he led them down the field late to uh, put them up. And you know, it's a solid Wake Forest team. They were very good early in the year, and they kind of fell off. But I think more importantly, how bad the UCF defense is, letting up uh, way too many points to a 1-10 USF team. Uh, got taken to the brink of being beat, really, um, with all the injuries on the UCF offense side. I can imagine that defense is going to be out there a lot, and just, I expect that dude team to take advantage. I don't think their record reflects how well they played this year, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Gator fan, I guess, USF is the only team given us trouble. Or UCF is the only team USF has given troubles to, so. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, I think Duke wins outright. Um, I mean, they are favored, but yeah, I think they, they win. Um, all right, the next game I'm going to cover is South Carolina versus Notre Dame. This game isn't until late December, December 30th, I believe. But this, for me, is probably one of the more interesting, if not the most interesting game um, out of all the bowl games. Um, you got South Carolina coming off of two huge wins led by Spencer Rattler, Tennessee and Clemson. I mean, back-to-back, like, those are just huge wins um, for, like, that program, for Shane Beamer. Um, which is also funny because those two teams will be playing each other in another bowl game we'll cover probably next week. Um, and then you got Notre Dame coming off of a close loss to um, USC a couple weeks ago. Uh, but they've been pretty solid most of the year. I think that they're a very good team, both sides of the ball, especially defensively. I think they're a very solid unit. Um, Marcus Freeman is doing a pretty good job in year one with them. Um, but yeah, here's how I kind of see the game. So, there's a ton of opt-outs and transfers. That's kind of the storyline for this game, in my opinion. So um, for South Carolina, the really good news is Spencer Rattler is going to be playing in the game. Um, the only the bad news with this is that, um, you know, there's a, bun- a bunch of other guys out for South Carolina. So they're starting running back, uh, Lloyd. He's like an NFL talent. Uh, he's going to be like when the transfer somewhere else. Their two starting tight ends are gone, uh, Bell and Stogner, I believe it is. Um, and they're headed to Florida State and back to Oklahoma, respectively. It's also funny because they're playing against each other again, another Tennessee Clemson scenario. Um, their wide receiver, Vaughn, has a knee sprain, um, and that was against that last game against Clemson. He's questionable to play. Um, they have a corner, Smith, who is uh, he is a first-round draft candidate, so he opted out. Um, they've got a defensive lineman, Pickens, who's also declared for the draft. Um, he was, he started in all 12 games for them at four tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. Uh, another corner is going to the draft. Um, they just got a bunch of guys out. Um, and on top of all of that, they don't have an offensive coordinator. Shane Deemer has not named a play caller for them. Um, so with all of those guys out, especially those two tight ends, I'd expect it. And with Notre Dame, uh, pretty solid defense, I would expect it to be a lot harder to put up points against this team than, you know, maybe first Tennessee. Um, for Notre Dame, it's a, it's a pretty similar story. Um, they're tight end Mayer, and they got a defensive lineman um, named Foskey. Those are the two biggest losses, in my opinion. Um, Mayer is probably going to go in the first round as a tight end, which says a lot about you know how good he is as a player. Um, Foskey was easily their best pass rusher. He had 12 sacks in the season, uh, over one sack a game, which is really big in college football. Um, and then uh, they got their quarterback, um, Hines, who's, you know, he left the team. Um, so they have a really uncertain quarterback situation um, at Notre Dame. Um, their, you know, their other quarterback who started at the beginning of the year, Tyler Buckner, um, he had like a season-ending shoulder injury all the way back in September. Um, he has been practicing a little bit. We're not sure if he's going to return, but if not, they're going to have to rely on their third-string quarterback, 
um, Steve Angeli. Uh, we don't really know what to expect from him. But I think this game really comes down to who has a deeper roster and who can and can, who can really adjust to attrition the best. Uh, me personally, I think it's Notre Dame. If you look at 247 Sports composite team talent rankings um, for 2022, they're at number 10. South Carolina's at number 21. They just have more more big-time players. they got more four-stars, four five-stars um, in South Carolina. And sometimes, you know, like I like to say this all the time, I listen to Josh Tate, shout-out shout out Josh Tate. Um, I think college football really is a talent acquisition business. You know, like on game day, sure, you can coach, you can out-scheme the other team. But if you don't have the talent, the raw talent to, to compete with teams like Georgia, like OSU, like Bama, year in and year out, um, you don't really have a shot. And um, I kind of knew that firsthand as a Florida fan. Um, but, yeah, I also think South Carolina and Spencer Rattler are a bit too inconsistent for me to buy in um, them beating that Notre Dame defense. Um, they had a, a, one slip-up in mid-October against Stanford, which was a really bad loss, and then earlier in the year versus Marshall. Since then, they've looked pretty clean, um, you know, with the wins against Tennessee and Clemson, like I said. But um, their last four games, uh, apart from those, like the four games before uh, Tennessee and Clemson, um, they beat TAMU by less than a touchdown. We know how bad Texas A&M has been this season. They lost to Missouri by 13. Um, they let Vanity drop 27 on them. And then they lost to Ard Gators by 32 points. Now, I know it was in the swamp. I think that played a, a huge role in that game. But um, I think that the, that that is very telling of how inconsistent this team kind of is. Um, and we've seen that for years. Um, and I think, you know, when it comes down to it, I think Notre Dame is going to dominate them in the trenches. Uh, my final score prediction is Notre Dame 28, South Carolina 20. Um, and taking the under in that game, I think it'll be probably a pretty low scoring game, in my opinion. I don't really think Spencer Rattler, um, with those guys that I said were out, is going to have the weapons um, or the tight ends, at least to open up the, the field. Remember, they're starting running back is out. So I think that makes things a lot harder. Any thoughts on that game? I think that should be really interesting to be on that should be a good game. Yeah. I could easily see either team is breaking out and, and, and winning it like handedly, um, or it being a very close game. I I really don't know what to expect. Just which Spencer rather are we gonna get? Are we gonna get the last two games against Tennessee and Clemson? Or are we gonna get the entire you know yeah. previous chunk of the season where he hasn't been that Heisman favorite, hopeful that he was a few years ago coming into the season. We haven't yeah. really gotten that level of play except for these last two games. Yeah. I think that's a huge that's a huge one as well. Um, yeah. All right. Oh yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, I'm just thinking like how badly these coaches can can use a win like this to end their season. It's like both Freeman and Beamer have had such an up and down tumultuous season, and right now is a chance for your season to be defined by like the highs and not the lows. So I think. Both of them are really going to go for it. I feel like it's a big win. Yeah. And I do think it'll come down to coaching, to be honest. You know, like making those decisions on who to put in for the guys who were out, um, like the substitutions and just the scheme, like the, the scheme of the game, like the, the strategy going in. So I think we'll play a way bigger role than in most games because like, of how thin most of these rosters are. Um, all right, moving on to Washington versus Texas. This is also a very interesting game, in my opinion, which is yeah, why that's I a great it. game right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, for Washington, um, they actually don't really have any opt-outs or transfers out. They got their their star quarterback, Michael Panix Jr. He's going to play again um, next year. Um, he's going to play in this game. That's a huge, huge. That's huge news for them. On the other side, quite the opposite for Texas. I mean. They got – I'm, I'm just going to list off these names and then kind of break it down really quickly. But, um, you know, Hudson Card – and mind you, not all these guys were starters in recent games, but I'll just tell you who they have had. 
uh, Hudson Card, Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, Troy Omier, uh, Jalen Garth, Andres Karat, uh, DJ Harris, Prince Dorba, uh, Demerovian, Overshawn, uh, JD Coffee. And um, yeah, that's like a lot of guys. So I'll, I'll kind of break that down really quickly for y'all. Um, their two best running backs, um, Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, are both headed to the draft. Um, you know, uh, Robinson is probably one of the best running backs in the country, if not the best. Um, he had almost 2,000 yards from scrimmage just this year. Um, this puts a lot of pressure on Quinn Ewers, I believe. Um, you know, they, they, they're two starting running backs. He's really going to have to air it out, really going to have to show why he was that number one uh, quarterback a couple classes ago. I believe it was in 2020. Um, yeah. 2021. 2021. Okay, yeah. Um, apart from that, they got, um, their linebacker, um, the Marvian Overshawn, um, he, his backup at linebacker was really struggling in the Texas Tech game. Um, so that's something to watch as well. Um, so those are a lot of key pieces out. Um, Texas is also waiting on word from a lot of other players as well, such as Jalen Ford, Jordan Whittingham, or Whittington, Morrow, Ojomo, and DeAndre Coburn. Um, so they have a ton of guys out and I think that, you know, Texas probably on the surface is a more talented team. Um, they have, you know, more talent on that roster than Washington does. But I think the way that I look at this game is Washington's offense has been prolific this year. I mean, second best in the country in, in yards per game, the best passing offense, um, even better than Tennessee this year. Um, Michael Phoenix Jr. has really lit it up through the air. Um, both of these teams have very average defenses with Texas having like the slight edge. Um, but offensively, I mean, the, the advantage really goes to Washington if we're looking to this season um, and looking for the numbers. Um, so I think the real question that Texas needs to answer is, do they have true high-quality depth? Um, can they make up for that loss in the run game that they're going to experience? And can they have any chance at stopping the Huskies' pass attack? I personally don't think so. I mean, they gave up around 240 passing yards a game, well below average in the country, probably puts them in the bottom quarter and the Huskies are averaging over 375 passing yards a game. They're like literally number one in the country. Um, I think that it's kind of, I really don't understand why Vegas has Texas being like a four or five point favorite in this game. I think Washington wins and they win by a touchdown, honestly. But Washington ahead of Texas, 34 to 27. Um, might be a bit of a bold prediction, but let me know what y'all think as well. Yeah, uh, I love You go, Vinny. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, from an NFL standpoint, I really like Penix from Washington. Like, I really think the guy is going to be a stud of an NFL draft prospect. Um, the things he's done this year with Washington, uh, kind of like the the ceilings that he's hit in terms of where he's taken that offense. I'm excited to see him cement this season and, and with a big win over Texas. So I'm also uh, looking for Washington to have a big game. Yeah, I, I love this game coming in. I think uh, I'm insanely high on Quinn Ewers in Texas. I mean, let's not forget the guy reclassed. So, yes, he's the class of 2021, but he was the 17-year-old sitting behind C.J. Stroud last year and uh, transferring over to Texas. Now he's just he's 18, you know, the age of a true freshman playing this year. Um, I thought he looked amazing in the Alabama game before he got hurt, and I thought Texas would have won that game if he doesn't go down. Uh, the defense for Texas, we were saying, you know, it's average. But, I mean, that Bama defense, or Bama offense, I should say, hung a lot of points throughout the year, and they could not get past 20 against that Texas defense. Yes, it was in Texas, but 
you know, that that still happened. So I think we get a Quinn Ewers master class and uh, he cements himself as one of the top quarterbacks in next year's draft along with Caleb Williams, Drake May, and some others. Yeah, I don't know. On that point, I think I would also argue that, you know, not only is Washington's offense um, pretty far ahead of where Bama's offense is this year, Bama's offense is kind of underperformed. But I also think that, you know, like I said earlier, they're missing a lot of guys, um, like on defense. I think it's they have five, four guys out confirmed right now, two at linebacker, one on that D line, and then a DB is out. Um, and that's that's just the beginning. They could have more guys out. This game isn't for a while, I believe. Um, so we, we will see. It should be a very interesting game. Um, it's a big game for Steve Sarkeesian, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we, we'll, we'll see. That's, like, probably one of the other more interesting games. Um, I'm going to break down some recruiting and transfer portal stuff real quick. So on the recruiting front, um, a brief word on the recruiting dynamic in the state of Florida. Um, this is kind of inspired by Josh Pate, but I think that if we really want um, more parity in college football, um, Teams in the state of Florida are going to have to keep their recruits in the state a lot more effectively. Florida, 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 Florida State, Miami, if you look historically, they've always been good when they've been able to do that. Um, so much talent comes from South Florida and honestly the rest of Florida in general, um, but specifically South Florida. Um, so I think that, you know, that's starting to happen a bit more with Cristobal and Napier picking up, uh, even Norvell um, here and there. But, but yeah, so I'm going to kind of talk about some recent commits. So, Miami has been pretty hot on the trail. They just got Samson Pancake, as y'all might know, Open Lola. Um, he was, um, you know, a five-star tackle um, that they just picked up yesterday. Uh, he was kind of expected to go there, um, especially, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but apparently he got a, a bag very recently in his recruitment. Um, they also got Ruben Bain. Um, so they moved to the number three class in 2023. They got three five-stars, which, by the way, Despite having the three five stars, they still got a lower average recruit ranking than Florida, who sits at number 10. Fun no depth that. in the class. Yeah, they, it's a pretty top-heavy class, I will say. But, um, yeah, the, the problem the problem I have with the way Miami is recruiting is that, you know, recruiting has always been about money, but now it's legal, and now it's way more transparent and easy for people to see that. Um, but I think that, A, the problem lies with the way Miami is kind of just handing out these huge checks to, to players. Um, and they're, I, I believe, personally, this is my personal opinion, I think they're making promises that they're not going to be able to keep up with. Um, if I had to tell you, if I didn't make a prediction, I would say at least one to two of these five-star guys that they got committed to them right now, who probably will end up signing with them. I don't think they'll be on Miami's roster um, come next year. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, if you give it a year, I think that a guy like Francis Moagua, or I don't know how to say the last name, but um, they're both – like Ricks on the defense too. Well, uh, poor Monty McLean. Yeah, I'll talk about Ricks in a second, but yeah, like I think that those guys, a lot of those guys have Florida number two right there, and I think it just came down to the bidding wars. Um, but this is also a bigger problem with like the structure of college football. Um, there needs to be some type of restriction or cap on how much can be spent on these guys. Um, I think that that really needs to change. It's kind of ruining following recruiting for me at least. Um, but yeah, I think that a lot of these guys are going to end up dipping once they, they're going to hit the portal of a year from today. So um, yeah. I'll also talk a little bit about Florida recruiting because we started with you know, how important it is to keep those guys in state. Um, Florida doing a bit of recruiting out of state. Um, they got they are actually the only program in the country to have a five-star quarterback committed in the 2023 class and 2024 class. Um, they just recently picked up both Jaden Rashada in 2023 and more recently Derek Lagway in 2024. Um, Rashada's from California. Lagway's from Texas. Pretty impressive stuff on the trail. Um, really, really good depth they're building at quarterback there. 
um, which will probably be needed, especially because um, we're pretty thin right now. Um, we also got Mark Fletcher, who's a really, really good running back. Um, I think he's got Florida at the top of his list right now. Um, and then I'll talk about Desmond Ricks in a bit. Um, he might be coming to Florida. So um, very quickly, some upcoming commitments. So Desmond Ricks, he's um, the corner who reclassed from 2024, um, which is crazy because he's still probably a top three corner in this class. Super impressive in my opinion. Um, right now, in my opinion, it's a race between LSU, Bama, and Florida than everyone else. I think uh, LSU is leading that that recruitment right now uh, pretty handily. I think I would probably, if I'd have to place a prediction today, it's a 7 out of 10 confidence crystal ball for LSU. Um, this next guy I'm really excited about. I've probably mentioned his name to Rohan and Vinay like at least 10 times. Nicholas Arbor. Um, he is a very, very talented um, uh, high school player out of Washington, D.C. Um, the guy is, I believe it's 225 um, and he's six five. Um, he can honestly play anywhere on the field, like whether it be tight end or edge. They haven't lifted an edge right now. But the reason you're going to want to remember him is because this guy is an athlete like I have never seen before in my entire life of walking sports. This guy has certified speed. He's a track star. He ran a 10 2800 meter dash, a 2079 200 meter dash. I mean, this thing, like if you've ever seen videos of him online, it's he's so much bigger than all these other guys and he's just outpacing them like crazy it's ridiculous um so he's going to be a name you definitely want to remember um if he stays with football um which i hope he does because that'd be so fun to watch he's going to be a star um whatever school he commits to whatever nfl team he gets in um yeah i think for as for a prediction i think he stays in the big 10 like i said he's from washington dc um maryland is at the top of his commitment or at the top of his recruitment so is michigan um, I honestly only put a one out of 10 confidence for Maryland right now. Um, his recruitment has been really interesting to watch because he hasn't really said a lot of information about which schools he prefers. Um, so that's really up in the air right now. I know some SEC schools like Bama are trying to get in there late, but, but we will see. And then the last recruitment that I will follow or give an update with, with, um, uh, with y'all is these two five-star D linemen from Carver High School in Montgomery, Alabama, James Smith and Kwa Rousseau. Um, they've been known to kind of be a package deal. And it's honestly so crazy to me that they, a high school roster can have two five stars in their defensive line. Like, I mean, if I'm like an O lineman studying like algebra one and I got to play these two guys later in the day, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Man. Like, I, I'm probably skipping school that day. And I don't know. Dude. But I think that um, they got some crystal balls recently to Alabama. I think that those are pretty justified. I think Alabama and Nick Saban keep them in state. I got an eight out of 10 confidence rating them both to go to Bama. Um, but yeah, that's a huge get for Bama if they can close with that recruitment. Uh, I guess that's you have to commit. And then lastly, I wanted to very briefly cover some transfer portal stuff. So um, some recent good gets. So FSU um, got Shaheen Bell running back to South Carolina. Great I'm very pleased with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pitt just got Donovan, Donovan McMillan, safety coming from Florida. Um, he didn't get too many snaps this year, but he's very, very talented. Um, he's a very solid four-star who will probably be a plug-and-play at Pitt. Um, UCF gets Christian Leary from Bama, really good wide receiver, I think. And in a similar light, Oregon just got Treshawn Holden from Alabama, another wide receiver. Bama's, you know, has a lot of guys that have transferred thus far, but I think that they got a lot of they, – they just rebuild and, and reload, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, as far as the biggest targets kind of on the transfer portal market right now, you got Devin Leary from NC State. He's probably the highest-rated prospect um, – 
like uh, in the transfer portal right now. An NFL caliber guy. It's just injuries that derailed him, but that's an NFL caliber quarterback right there. Yeah, me personally, I think I I have some doubts about him as a quarterback. I don't. He's not too much of a dual threat with his legs. Um, like you said, that pec that pec injury. We're not really sure how he's going to recover from that. Um, and I also think that he kind of underperformed even prior to that injury in 2022. Um, he only played, in my opinion, three formidable opponents in Texas Tech, Clemson, and FSU. Didn't have very good performances in those games, I think. He only well, he went down in the FSU games, too. It was the backup that came in, I believe, midway through. Cause, yeah, yeah, uh, but even, yeah. Yeah, I think even before the backup came in, his numbers were not looking too hot. But um, nonetheless, he, he is a very, very good player for a reason. He's a great passer. He had an amazing 2021 season. Um, if I had to give a prediction on where he's landing, I think all signs are pointing to Kentucky right now to kind of replace Will Levis, fill in that gap. Uh, you know, maybe not as much of a dual threat as Will Levis, but um, really good through the air. Um, the other guy we'll cover is Johnny Cornelius. I think a lot of sites have him as the number two guy in the transfer portal right now. He's a very, very big 6'4", 315-pound um, guard. Um, he's got the most offers in the portal right now um, from schools, including Ohio State, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina. Penn State, Oregon, Auburn. And if I had to guess where he's going right now, it's probably a race between Ohio State and Tennessee. Um, that's where he's visited most recently. But I also think that, you know, schools like Florida, Auburn, and South Carolina are also in the mix. You know, Florida definitely benefited from picking up Osiris Torrance from ULL last year. Um, they could do something, something very similar here. And then some quarterbacks to watch are Graham Merch in Wisconsin, Sam McCall from Coastal Carolina. They will be transferring. It'll be very interesting to see where they go. Um, but yeah, bit of a longer segment. But I wanted to kind of break down all that stuff for y'all. And I think now we'll move on to some well, NFL. Uh, yeah, before, yeah, well, you covered UF and UM. So I just wanted to touch on FSU and UCF before we transition to uh, the NFL. I think something that's not getting – well, it's going to be talked about a little bit, but mostly amongst US, UCF fans is that move to the Big 12, they are not set up very well to go into that move. Like next year does not pan out well for them. Right now, uh, the latest update, they're still in the 40s in the 247 recruiting class rankings, which is not going to get you very far in that conference. Um, I believe Texas and Oklahoma still have one more year before they leave, if I'm not mistaken. So you're going up against a lot of good opponents next year, and that schedule is going to be brutal for a team that has really no real recruiting talent coming in. And, yes, they got Leary, but they haven't made too much other noise in the portal compared to what they're losing. Um, FSU, on the other hand, I think is the exact opposite. I love our recruiting class. Norvell keeps us in the top 20 every year. Uh, Hakeem Williams, you know, we're just stacking that receiving core. But most importantly, we're not losing a lot. Like, our whole running back core is coming back. You know, Jordan Travis is the most important part. He's coming back. Uh, we're losing verse on the defensive end, which hurts. But, you know, we, we'll make do. So I love where FSU is poised. And we've got a lot. Like, we have a deep, deep class coming in. We, just, we only have the one five-star, but... Uh, I love our class coming in, and I, yeah. I'm high hopes for next year. Yeah, on that point about UCF, I think if there is any team in the Power Five who's got or in the non-Power Five uh, who's got a coach that can go to the Power Five, I think it's UCF. Though they got they still yeah. got Gus Malzahn down there. He's beating yeah, he's a good Bama. Coach. Yeah, he's beating Bama his fair share of times. He knows how to recruit in the Power Five. I think that you know he can get them to where they need to be. But like you said, I think right now they're not positioned too well, which will be nice for me because. I I still hear a lot of smack talk from UCF fans, so they. I hear way too much for a team they, they that did not perform. To go with a bunch of our guys out. I'll, I could talk about that for a while, but um, yeah, that, that that'll that'll be interesting to see that transition for sure. And I think on one of the future episodes, we can definitely talk about 
you know, the playoff expansion and, and things of that sort. But um, yeah, really interesting stuff. Um, Vinay, you want to kind of get started on some NFL stuff, some professional football, the guys that are getting paid the big bucks? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, that's that's sort of my my area of expertise. I've been following it pretty closely for a while. Uh, but yeah, we have a few games that we spotlighted for the week to look out for. Uh, number one, Bengals and Bucks. Um, you know, I'm just gonna say it. The Bucks are just not a not a good uh, playoff Super Bowl contending team this year, and it really pains me as a Saints fan to see such a subpar version of this team uh, leading the NFC South. The NFC South, uh, like unequivocally, the worst division in football. And so, yes, my prediction for this game is you don't see Tom Brady get blown out back-to-back weeks. I mean, he took a an embarrassing loss against the 49ers last week, 35-7. to 7. Um, The only thing that gives me uh, any sort of hope for the Bucs to, you know, cover and make this game close is the fact that they do have Tom Brady, and very rarely do we see him sustain back-to-back huge losses, and uh, just because of the guy he is and sort of the competitive fire that he has. Uh, that being said, uh, when it comes to competitive fire, Joe Burrow, cannot be questioned. I think the Bengals are hot. Um, they're coming off a dispatching of the Browns. And I think that this game is just not going to be a great matchup for the Buccaneers. The Bengals have speed. Um, I like to think back to a few years ago uh, when Tyree Kill torched the Bucks for almost 200. I think it was over 200 yards. I mean, speed is really their weakness on that defensive front. And they're Aging defense with Todd Bowles at the helm. Um, yeah, I just don't like the direction that the Bucks are going in. Um, I do think that this is going to bring out a closer game than expected just because of the fact that they have Tom Brady and that I do think that this is a must win because the Bucks at six and seven, they have kept it is so sad. They've kept the Falcons, who are literally in a rebuilding sort of quarterback switching mode, and the Panthers who, you know, have just been all over the place. They've kept those two teams in the race for the NFC South. And dare I say, the Saints two games back, they beat the Falcons, they leapfrogged the Falcons, and now they're sort of in the race. So the Buccaneers need this win. Uh, they can't keep affording to dr- drop games, which is why they're gonna you're going to see sort of kind of a must-win uh, playoff intensity about this team uh, when they host the Bengals. Uh, I think that home game, they're going to need some atmosphere to fall in their favor. But, you know, I think Joe Burrow gets it done in the end. I just don't think the Bengals defense is nothing to laugh at. And we've seen what Brady has done against good defenses next to nothing. So, yeah, I think Todd Bowles schemes a decent game plan, but this game breaks wide open in the fourth and the Bengals pull away, win by multiple touchdowns. That's my prediction. Um now on to the Cowboys and Jags. There's been a lot of talk about an upset alert for the Cowboys. You know, last week, not a pretty game against the Texans. I understand uh, you should have lost. They should have lost that game to the Texans. So coming off that uh, against the Jags team that had a really impressive win against Tennessee, I think that, you know, it is a little bit warranted to expect the Jags to give the Cowboys a hard time. However, my opinion is that this game will also not be very close just because the Cowboys have already sort of had that upset scare against a horrible AFC South opponent in the Texans. And I feel 
that they are an, a legitimately good team and they're too good to have back-to-back sort of upset scares. So I think that that last week's kind of debacle against the Texans wakes them up and they go out, they execute and they win a game that they should win pretty handily. And on the other side, you know, the Jags blowing out the Titans was super impressive, but I'm nowhere near close to trusting this team to pulling out consistent back-to-back impressive upsets just because a few weeks ago we saw what the Lions did to them. And to me, that was a that was a game that really told me a lot about what to expect from the Jaguars. And right now they're just not at a point where you can depend on them for something like this. I'll be very impressed if they can pull this out, but I just expect the Cowboys, you know, coming off last week, uh, they need a strong performance going into the biggest game of their season against the Eagles in the following week. They need a good performance against the Jags. They need to take care of business. I don't see them dropping this game nor keeping it very close for the Jags. So I have the Cowboys winning by multiple scores. Um, now onto the Lions and Jets. This is my most intriguing matchup of the of the week, just because of the possibility of the Lions to sneak into that wild card spot. Uh, they're going to need some NFC East teams to drop some games to get into that spot. But with the Seahawks losing last night, that really has opened the door for them to to get into that NFC playoff picture. They have so much momentum, and I think that the Jets. Uh, what is kind of like a marquee matchup that no one really wants to talk about is the Lions offense versus the Jets defense. A lot of people think, yeah, that Lions offense, it's all right, but it's nowhere near the caliber of of the best offenses we talk about, like that Chiefs offense or the Bengals offense. But I think they're really quite up there just with the how Dan Campbell has them rolling right now. I mean, you got Jamison Williams back. Chark is playing like a solid number one receiver. Uh, these past few weeks, St. Brown looking like the best slot receiver slash, you know, between this, between the numbers threat in the NFL right now, like one of the best. And um, yeah, I just think that two headed monster up front and their offensive line is formidable. I like that unit a lot in Detroit. I like them a lot coming into the season, very disappointed in how they started, but this is sort of what I saw them doing at the beginning of the season. So I think that that offense matched up against the Jets defense is the marquee matchup of the week because that Jets defense is so good. However, I also like, it just depends on Mike White's health, in my opinion, if the Jets have a chance in this game, because otherwise I think the Lions pull it out. Uh, Mike White, if he's healthy, he's 100%. I do think that there are weaknesses to be exposed in that Lions defense. They're They're not really near where they need to be to be the full, well-rounded offense and defensive unit. But I, where things are currently positioned, I like that uh, Lions offense right now. I think that it stays under 40 points. I mean, under like 45 total points. I think it's a low-scoring game. But just with the momentum that the Lions have, and Mike White's kind of been banged up last week, coming off a tough offensive output, um yeah i i like the lions in a really close game and zach um, wilson was confirmed to be starting for this game okay okay yeah zach wilson i mean we'll see this is his chance to prove himself but i just think with the momentum the lions have and that offense just being so explosive lately um and the jets sort of reeling um from these injuries and from some tough games that they've had to endure i like the lions in a, in a sort of Close kind of upset there. Um, 
I personally don't think Zach Wilson gets it done. I mean, like we saw him in, in like previous games he played and it didn't look good. But I, I have always had doubts about him even in college. I think like you know, you, you play for a team like BYU, you don't have a lot of competition. Uh, you know, things are always look good for you. You got an ISO line to sit behind. Um, you, you got some decent receivers, but like I don't know. I don't. I don't think I didn't. I never really thought that he would transfer to the NFL super well. Um, I mean, like that's not to say he's a terrible quarterback, but I just think that I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of faith in in him developing as you know a, a consistent starter for any NFL roster. Yeah, I think certainly the game plan with him is going to be very. It's going to be at par, if not a lot more limited than what the game plan is with Mike White. I think they bring him in there. And they don't give him the full range. They say, you know, operate at kind of a bare minimum, be a little bit conservative. So I think we see a more conservative version of the Jets offense that we, than we've seen with Mike White, especially because Zach Wilson's coming back under all this pressure with the leash being so thin. Um, yeah, I, I just like the Lions here. They they have a they certainly have a lot more to play for in my opinion because the Jets' chances of making the playoffs is, are very slim. They have one of the hardest schedules towards the end of the year. The Lions have some daylight to get in the playoffs, so I think they they ride that and, and they win. For the sake of Dolphins fans, we need a Jets loss as well because this weekend doesn't look too bright. Oh yeah, yeah. I can I can talk about my my thoughts on that game too. I guess I'll go into that game real quick. Um. For me, my the most intriguing part of this game, a lot of people are talking about, you know, this is make or break for Tua. You know, this is where we can see what he's really made of. But what I'm really focusing on for this game, I've always been a huge fan of the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, uh, which is why as soon as you guys hired Mike McDaniel, uh, I wanted the Saints to get a, a guy from that coaching tree to replace the prowess of Sean Payton. But um, yeah, I just really like Mike McDaniel coming into the year. Uh, I think we've seen what he's capable of, where he's capable of taking that offense. But this game is going to be an indictment on Mike McDaniel in terms of how far and how legit of a coach he is. Because we've seen these last two weeks, it seems like his offense has been figured out a little bit. I mean, he's gone up against the Niners. So they kind of figured it out, stifled that offense. And then the Chargers the following week, not as good in terms of personnel, but you're going up against Brandon Staley, who's a defensive guy. So he's the one creating that game plan. And it seemed like he also had that offense figured out. I mean, to it with a bad game, but I think it was more schematic of a win from the Chargers. So I'm interested to see coming off two weeks where it seems like that offense has been figured out and sort of stifled a lot more than recent recent weeks. Can Mike McDaniel you know, write the ship, coach around it, coach around the deficiencies that they have and go into Buffalo against McDermott and pull out a win in Buffalo. I think that would cement him as a force to come in the AFC East for years to come if he can pull that off. Um, if not, and if it keeps on spiraling, if that game gets out of hand, gets ugly, you know, it was a good year one, but he's he's not really there yet, I think. Like I was saying earlier, a lot of people like to think of this game as an indictment on Tua, um, you know, how he's been playing this year, his recent struggles. But I think that Tua's success this year has all just been a product of Mike McDaniel's scheme. And that's not a bad thing. It's not disparaging on Tua in any way. Uh, he executes that offense really well. But I think the focus should be on McDaniel. You know, 
is he just an offensive mastermind or is he that coach that can rally a team to go into hostile territory against a top defense in December, keep in mind, in December, and beat that divisional opponent and stake your claim in the AFC East. That's my like target, sort of what I'm focusing on this week, what I'll take away from the game is, you know, Mike McDaniel, are you legit? Can you win these big games in December when things have been down? You know, rally the troops. If so, watch out for the Dolphins in the playoffs. If not, promising year, but, you know, until next year, in my opinion. Yeah, I can also share a couple of my thoughts as well. I mean, obviously, like, the AFC is super stacked. Um, I think this is a, a more important game for the Dolphins than it is for the Bills. I think the Bills are pretty much locked into a playoff spot at this point, even with a loss. Um, I'm not so sure the case is the same if the Dolphins lose um, this week. Um, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of, like, the way I see the playoff picture panning, especially because the Dolphins have losses in back-to-back weeks. Um, and, I don't know, things are kind of looking downhill. But I don't know. In terms of the game, like, I don't know. I, I think, like, it's just going to come down to, like, if we can get a stop or two, like, a, a couple of good stops against the Bills offense. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think that there's a very, like, realistic scenario in which the Bills just, like, run up the score on us. Um, and, like, we're not able to keep up. Um, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I guess you can never count a team out that has guys like Jalen Waddle and, and Tyree Kill. But, like, realistically, like, I don't think that this offense is anywhere as, like, dynamic and, like, efficient as the Bills offense truly is. Like, I'm, maybe on the surface it looks that way if you look at the numbers and how good Tua has been this year. But I think, like, if you if you really watch the games, like, that Bills offense is a, a final machine um, they've got going. It's been like that for a while. Um, and, like, kind of, like, a, a brief word on Tua. I know we wanted to talk about Tua. Like, do we think he's a, a long-term option? For the Finns, do we think he's like a, a good quarterback in the NFL? Me personally, I'm 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 somewhat hesitant to believe that that he'll be a sustainable option um, for teams in the NFL, just because I don't think that he has the arm talent that you need to really have in the NFL. Nor does he have like the legs to really make up for that lack of arm talent. You know, like we've we've seen guys before that you know don't have the best arm talent, but they have legs that can make up for it. Um, I don't think Tua really has that back that like. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say you need a bag like like um, Josh Allen or Patty Mahomes or like um, any of these other like super like high level like passers. Um, but like, I don't know. I, I I don't think he has the arm to like to really do it consistently year in and year out. I think like when I said, the 49ers kind of figure that out. Um, you know, like you got to like as a defense, if you're playing the Dolphins, I think the, the strategy is very cut and, and clear. It's you make him throw the ball down the field. You you play up tight. You expect run, and, and you play like uh, like a bump and run, like man coverage. Like I think that it's you have to make him make those throws outside the numbers, and I don't think he's proven um, that he's able to do that consistently thus far. Um, and I don't really see how that changes unless I don't know he gets like Trent Dilfer and he goes to like some throwing camp, like all these other quarterbacks have done over the years. But yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think um, you know, as an op in this in this uh podcast, as a, as the Bills fan here, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to this game. You know, this is I think this is a must win for us. 
this just gives us a huge boost going into the rest of the season, securing the playoff spot, and also just you know leveling the head-to-head matchup uh, after the the horrible loss we had in Miami. But um, I am I am kind of nervous. Um, honestly, uh, we have seen that Josh Allen can uh, can kind of throw away games. Uh, key examples against the Vikings, he has been uh, as clutch as uh, we would like in the red zone uh, with his inner, with his picks in the red zone. But um, I do think that uh, that we will we will beat the Dolphins. My prediction: the Dolphins will freeze in Buffalo. It's going to be twenty eight degrees. The Dolphins are not ready for the Bills Mafia to show up in Buffalo. I think it's going to be a close one. But I think, like Vinay said, the Bills are just going to run up the score um, uh, in the in the third and fourth quarter, and um, it, it'll be a, a conclusive win for the Bills. Yeah, I, I got a you know a lot to say about this one. Is extremely passionate Dolphins fan. I think when we take a step back and look at this, this is a must win for both teams because both teams have different aspirations of what they want to do. Uh, Bills are playing for the one seed right now. They are tied with the Chiefs, and because they have the head to head, they're the one seed. Uh, and the Dolphins are still vying for a divisional. They the Dolphins want to win the division and you know make the playoffs, of course. Uh, so a win here would put us you know. An overlooked thing is that the Dolphins only have one divisional loss. The Bills have two. So another uh, another Dolphins win over the Bills would give us a much better divisional record than the Bills. And the Bills play the Bengals upcoming. Uh, so, and I don't think they're going to win that game the way Josh Allen's playing right now. I think Bengals are on fire. And uh, they're going to win that. So two losses right there to the Dolphins and the Bengals for the Bills would put them in a really bad spot of potentially having to go to a Cincinnati in the first round of the playoffs instead of hosting the Titans, which I think is what they want, or even better getting the bye as the first seed and then playing, I don't, I don't know who it would be in the second round, either the Ravens or maybe the Titans again, depending on the way everything falls. So yeah, this is a must-win team, or a must-win game for both teams. And uh, as far as Tua goes, uh, this all started last year against the Bills in Orchard Park when the Bills just destroyed us like it was not even close and they just rained points and everyone kind of walked away from that feeling like you know two was done we don't want him anymore and then we change everything and he plays good and now he's struggling again and I think we're seeing him be exposed all over again so for me these last four games are key to Tua's future as a Dolphin especially this one if they for some reason fail to make the playoffs you know he's got to be gone like we can't not with this roster that we have in place you know uh, the only problem is where do we find another answer? Is it Lamar Jackson in free agency? Is it, uh, you know, there's, not, there's only so many options out there. But, yeah, I think this is huge for Tua. At that same, you know, with all that being said, though, my prediction, I think it's another rough week. Uh, 27 to 16 bills. I think the Dolphins just keep settling for field goals and they get one lucky touchdown like they have the last two weeks where Tua just finds one good throw to Tyreek and the rest of the game is horrible. Yeah, also a fun fact that once you're a Dolphins fan, uh, four of the Dolphins' five losses have been on the road. Um, I don't think um, Bill's Mafia is a very welcoming fan base. They're probably one of the more energetic fan bases out there. You know, it's like Ron said, cold weather. Never really know how that affects the team, but um, this is something to think about. Um, and do we have another one last game you wanted to break down, today? Um. I don't know. We, we, we sort of, that kind of wraps up the slate of games we were thinking of. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a diehard Saints fan. So, you know, I'm probably like the only one looking at the marquee matchup between the Saints and the Falcons and Desmond Ritter's debut. 
But I think if the Saints win that heartbreakingly enough, it could put some kind of hope in our eyes uh, with the Bucks loss and the Panthers being the Panthers. Um, yeah, maybe the NFC South is up there for the taking. Maybe we we lose a playoff game with dignity, which I would be so happy to see. But uh, yeah, it's another thing I'm looking out for, for sure. All right. All right. Um, with that being said, do we want to get to our best bet segment? I can kind of introduce it unless someone else wants to. All right. Yeah. So um, this is our best bet segment. Uh, we're each going to drop our three best bets of the weekend. Um, and uh, does anyone want to go first? Yeah, I guess I can kind of go first because uh, my bets are mainly about the World Cup. So I kind of just get that out of the way. Uh, then the rest can talk a little bit about, you know, college football and football. Um, so all three of the bets are on the World Cup final, not necessarily on the third place game between Morocco and Croatia. Because in my opinion, that game can go either way, although I am rooting for a Morocco win. So the first bet I have is just a lock in the draw, um, plus 200. Um in my opinion, picking an outright winner here can literally go either way. But because of the history of the World Cup, the last three out of the four games of the World Cup final have gone into uh, extra time. I think a draw is the most likely scenario. Um, so that's probably the safest place to put your money there. The second um, thing I have is um, anytime goal scorer, Leo Messi. I think the gods have just absolutely blessed us with Messi being in the final. And that's just something you have to take. Um, Messi has been man of the match four out of the five games that he's played for for Argentina you know, when they did win. Um, and I think, you know, he's just going to be one of the X factors in the game for Argentina. And um, if I were putting my money, I would put it there. The last thing I would suggest, uh, this is a bit of a random one, but I thought this would be pretty cool. Uh, corners, three-way, most amount of corners per team would be France plus 120. Not a huge, uh, not huge odds, uh, winnings there, but I think just because France are so potent on the counterattack and uh, Argentina, Argentina's backline is going to be running against them, they're going to be conceding a lot of corners, and I just think that um, that France is just going to have the advantage here, contrary to the popular belief that because Argentina have a lot of possession, they're going to have more corners. I think because France are going to strike on the counterattack and going to have Argentina running against them, I think as a result of that, they're going to be conceding some more corners. So, yeah, those are my uh, bets to look out for. Those are the bets that I've locked in, and we'll update that. Uh, we'll up- I'll update y'all on how I did. Yeah, Ron, I got a, a question for you. Um, word on the street is that you got some, some hat-trick uh, plays going on. Um, what do you have to say about Dybala scoring a hat-trick? Listen, man, listen, listen, listen. For those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a diehard Juventus fan, and even though Paulo Dybala is not on our roster anymore, you know, I have such a soft spot for him in my heart. He's, he has served us well. He left with dignity. He plays for Roma now. He came off the bench for the first time last last week. Not last week, last game. Um, and he got some minutes there, which honestly, I believe are to be the only minutes he would get at this World Cup. But there's just something about him that just drew me to take him scoring a hat-trick. I bet like $1 on him to score a hat-trick anytime during the game. And if he does, I win $63. And if I win, Vinay promised that he would pay me 20% of his total net earnings for the rest of his uh, life. There's, there's and, a misconception. Uh, I'm literally like, Paulo Dybala could just end my entire career. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be like impoverished, just paying my debts to Rohan for the rest of my life. 
Vinay, you only said that because you thought it was a three-leg parlay where Messi scoring a hat trick and Mbappe scoring a hat trick and Dybala scoring a hat trick. Yeah, no, that, that is true. Yeah, no, I thought Rohan was like actually like out of his mind. Yeah, so, so to clarify, I took Dybala scoring a hat trick. One, like that's one part. That's one thing. Messi scoring one, uh, scoring a hat trick as another, and then I took Mbappe scoring a hat trick as another. Um, the odds were just too, too savory. Yeah. Fun yeah. fact for all our viewers: Would you would you encourage our viewers to take any of those bets? I would not encourage anyone to take the hat trick bets, but I would you. encourage you to do your research and look into the bets that we will discuss. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah gamble at your own risk. It's a W take, in my opinion, uh, especially since the only uh, hat trick ever in a World Cup final was in 1966. Um, my dad was barely conceived then, but barely. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Anyway. All right, I guess I can go to next on my best bets. These will be college football. Um, so one game I really like is Boise – or one bet I really like is Boise State to cover. Uh, it's a 10.5-point spread against North Texas, which, you know, on the surface seems kind of hefty. Um, but when you look at the matchup, North Texas um, – I mean, both these teams are coming off of losses in their conference championships. Um, remember, they're both, you know, FCF's teams. But um, North Texas, following that loss, just fired their head coach, uh, which I think is a pretty big loss. Um you know, they're going to have an interim head coach coaching that game. Um, so we don't really know what to expect. I mean, Sam, not to take a shot at FSU, but, you know, when Florida had their interim head coach, things played out pretty well for us last year. But that's beside the point. The Broncos also have the significant edge on their D-line um, and a way bigger edge at quarterback. I think that makes a difference. So with all of those factors, I take Boise State to cover that 10.5 point spread. Um like I kind of alluded to earlier, another bet I'm personally taking, which might be a, a bit of bias um, involved, but I'm taking Florida to cover a 10 or 10 and a half point spread. I think it's 10 on both sides. But, um, you know, like I said before, Gator players have come out and said Jack Miller is really prepared for this game. Like they haven't seen him prepare before. Um, I think their defense, is, even if Oregon State has a more efficient defense, if you remember they're playing in the Pac-12, I think that, the Gator defense is more talented, even despite um, some attrition from Ventral Miller. Um, and, and on that note, I think the Florida defense looked very competent without him in the first half against FSU. Um, and just, I mean, maybe not very competent, but looked just as competent as they did in the second half, um, if not more competent without him. That's not to say Ventral Miller makes the team any worse. I think he'd be a really, really good player to have for us. But um, I, I think that, you know, we have some, some talented um, young talent um, on, on that defensive side of the ball. And lastly, I think the really big thing is like this isn't a Mullen-led team, right? When we played in our bowl game in our bowl game um, against like Oklahoma um, or like UCF, like Mullen was already pretty much bought out at that point. Um, and when you have a coach that's bought out because he didn't get his NFL job um, and he doesn't really care about you know the rest of the season following like, a loss, a close loss at Alabama, that that really shifts the focus and, dr- and drive of the, the players in the team as well. I think for Napier, it's a completely different story. He's in year one. Um, culture is super strong there and, and i think he's going to motivate that team to put up a fight um so even if they don't win i think that this will be a closer game than most people expect the last best bet that i have um, to present to y'all for this first podcast ever is um incarnate war um i'm not sure if any of y'all have ever heard oh, no way it is incarnate ward man i was literally gonna i was literally gonna say incarnate ward against ndsu bro they are oh, dude, dude yeah that's my best bet so i'm taking them to cover versus ndsu um like Vinay probably knows, they got Lindsey Scott Jr. Uh, he's their senior quarterback. Um, he's quietly had probably one of the best um, 
like seasons in the entire country, despite being an FCF, uh, FCS team. Um, you know, he's completed 73% of his passes, almost 4,000 passing yards, 50 touchdowns. I mean, when you look at Incarnate Ward's offense um, in FCF, um, they have 53 points per game over their average. Um, that's ridiculous, in my opinion. And I know North Carolina, uh, North Dakota State's defense is, you know, the second best in FCS, but I'm the type of person where I would take a high-powered offense, especially at the FCS level, over a high-powered defense, um, especially when you have a good, like, amazing quarterback play. Anything can happen. Um, I also think North Dakota State's offense, like, struggled a lot um, in the, until the late second quarter for Samford um, a week or two ago. Um, then I also think that, you know, um, their offense uh, is a bit weakened by the loss of their star running back or starting running back, rather, uh, to Merrick Williams, um, who got injured versus Samford. So overall, like, I think Incarnate Ward and especially Lindsey Scott Jr. keeps them in this game, keeps it within nine points. Uh, and, yeah, I'm personally taking that bet myself as well. Um, I'm taking all these bets myself, but that one especially, I'm, I'm, I like that bet. Yep. Uh, I guess I can go next. So my first bet is the third place game. I think it's overlooked by many in the World Cup, but I think it's also being overlooked by the odds makers because Croatia being the underdog, well, plus uh, plus 130 to win that game. I think that's a good bet. You know, I think that they're just they're, they're such a focused team. And I think Morocco come off so many highs and lows. I think Croatia kind of dispatches them, unfortunately, because, you know, I like the story of Morocco. But I think that's a good bet to take at plus 130. I also have the Steelers. Uh, how they're not favored against the Panthers. I mean, great win by the Panthers last week against the Seahawks, but plus 125 Steelers over the Panthers money line. I would say take that. Carolina Panthers, they do nothing but let you down. Good. You know, as a Saints fan, I've gotten another, like, being worried about the Carolina Panthers being a tender in any sort of right uh, whenever they're, like, you know, one game back of the NFC South lead. You think they're going to make a real push, get serious, play some solid football. Usually it turns out the opposite. So, you know, I'm taking the Steelers to win that game, money line. Yeah, I'm surprised the Panthers are favored. Uh, like Michael said, incarnate word. I just think they don't let you down, you know, like I've taken them, you know, as kind of like a kind of like a joke to addition to my parlays. But, you know, they always turn out to be like the one of four like legs that actually hit. So then I see that trend. I put my faith in Incarnate Ward. Michael made some great points that like just further solidifies. But like nothing better than the fact that their name is just so unique. And, you know, they've been pretty reliable for me. So uh, one thing you'll see for me is when it comes to betting, I always ride the reliable teams, no matter how weird their names sound, you know. Yeah. And then, like, I could easily see that being like our, our podcast, like good go to, like, yeah, yeah. Dude, if they, Ward, yeah, you gotta add it on. Yeah. And uh, I got the, I got a draw in regulation, France, Argentina. I just think this game goes to extra time. The drama, what a way to wrap up like a dramatic World Cup. Than with the with an extra time final, and uh, that's listed as plus two hundred. And then you know I have to add the Gators to cover to that parlay because you know this is our year. Yeah, a lot of similar best bets. I mean, Rowan had um, that game being a draw. I had Incarnate Ward to cover. I had 
um, Florida to cover. So those are probably the ones that y'all, if you are placing any bets, you know, look there, look no further. Um, but Sam, you want to close it off with your best bets? Yeah. Uh, so strictly NFL here for this one. I do not have any CF uh, college football plays for this weekend, and I'm probably not going to touch the World Cup tomorrow. Or sorry, Sunday. Cowboys minus four against the Jags. That is minus one ten. The last time the Cowboys came off a rough week, they forty to three the Vikings. I expect nothing less this week against a poor Jags defense. And then Trevor Lawrence, he's doing his thing, but um, you know it's the Titans. I just don't trust it. I think they're gonna get it after. I think it's a Micah Parsons comeback week. You know he's talking a lot of smack. I think he's gonna get it after Lawrence and uh, the Cowboys will recover. And I think that they can definitely cover minus four. Uh, Next, I don't enjoy taking this bet, but the odds are very good. Patriots money line at plus 110. Uh, it was last time I checked, it was plus 110. They play the Raiders, and the Raiders are just flat-out frauds. It does not get more fraudulent than the Las Vegas Raiders. No Darren Waller, no Renfro. Horrible defense. Uh, you know, McDaniels coming from that Belichick coaching tree. Uh, you know, Mac Jones hasn't been great, but... I trust them with a fairly healthy roster to take advantage of those fraudulent Raiders who just find a way to lose every time. Let Baker Mayfield off of two days, you know, signing, come in and go 98 yards to win the game is pathetic. I think the Patriots come in off of – and they played solid against, you know, a depleted Cardinals team. So I think they come in. I do think they do their thing. And, you know, as a Dolphins fan, I would like to see them lose. But the odds are, you know, too good on that Patriots money line. Lastly, Bengals minus three and a half, minus 110. This is a ridiculous line, in my opinion. I get it. It's in Tampa Bay, but they just got, like, Tampa has nothing going for them. We all just they say, Brady, 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 you know, they'll, they'll fix it. You know, I believe in Brady more than I should, but three and a half is a godsend. I think the Bengals cover that with ease, and it's another tough week for the Buccaneers offense. So, yeah, I would string those three plays together. I like the way that looks. I'm going to be doing that this this Sunday. I will be throwing those three together. Those are locks right there, in my opinion. I think all these are locks. And with that being said, um, that's going to wrap up on that first episode from Hold Down the Fort. Um, it's been a pleasure. You know, a bit of a longer episode. We might work on changing some of that stuff. Um, I'm probably to blame for most of that. But, um, yeah, it's uh, been fun. Um, and, yeah, I hope to see you all in future weeks. Peace out. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you. Yep.